Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So this is the message Jesus opens with, his ministry. And then he starts doing it. Like, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. He heals people, he teaches them, he brings good news to the poor. So for me, he's embodying the sermon, the very message that he opens with, right? This is what it looks like, come join me. And here in these first few chapters of Mark, he also recruits some people to join the movement. So he calls the apostles and he empowers them to do the same things that he himself is doing. To heal people, to cast out demons, and he sends them out two by two. So our gospel today, we come in at the moment where they're just getting back from this mission. Jesus has sent them out on a mission. So they're just getting back and they're all excited to tell Jesus about what they've done, right? Having just gotten back from a mission myself, I'm sure about a few things here. First of all, these apostles are very inspired and changed. What they've done has been changing them from the inside out. Second of all, they're utterly exhausted. <laughs> and Jesus can see that. He says, come away and rest a while. Restore yourselves, right? But the crowds kind of check out where they're going and try to beat them there. So before they can even get there and rest, there's already a huge group of people who wants more from them. So right off the bat, this says a few things to me about this mission and about mission in general. Jesus is on this mission to bring the kingdom of God into the world, and there's so much need for it. Before the disciples can even sneak away to rest, thousands of people have met them there already. There's so much need and so much desire for what Jesus has to offer, for the healing, for the teaching, probably for someone even to just care about these people who are very poor, and apparently no leaders have really taken much care to teach them or to care for them at all in this time. So there's so much need and so much desire for what Jesus has to offer. Which brings us to a little town in northern New Mexico called Taos. Has anybody been to Taos? Yeah, very beautiful place. So when you first roll into Taos, it might not be immediately obvious how much poverty there is. It's a very, very beautiful place. I mean, the landscape is breathtaking. The vast desert with the canyon lands and the large mountains nearby. There's a huge ski area there. But Taos actually has a lot of poverty and a lot of struggle, which is why we were there, and we've been going there every year. So over 20% of the people in Taos live below the poverty line, and the poverty rate for children is much higher than that. And there's a real crisis with housing in Taos, because it is such a desirable place to go to. People with money like to go to Taos to have summer homes, buy properties. So for those who live and work in Taos year-rounds, generally don't make a lot of money. Mostly it's in the service industry. Minimum wage jobs are not much more than that. So the median income in Taos is $22,000, and the average housing price is $350,000. So you can imagine most of the people who live and work there don't own their own home. And a lot of them live in homes that we would say are not safe or desirable at all. So that's why we're in Taos. The need in there, it, there is tremendous. New Mexico actually has the highest poverty rate in the country for children, higher than Mississippi. So this was our fifth year going to Taos. So I just want to tell you a little bit about this trip, what it means to me, and how I think it's really changed us, all of us who have participated, starting with me, over these last five years. And I really hope it will continue. So I just want to share with you a little bit about what we've been doing. So. When we, this was our fifth year in Taos, and this is the third family that we built for. So the first year we got there, we were building north of Taos, and the first thing we got to do was frame a house. 
which is one of the funnest things you can do because you see right away what you're doing, um, creating the wood structure, right? Then the next year we went back to the same house and we were more toward the end process of the house. They build about a house every year, year and a half. Um, so we were doing sheetrock, not quite as glamorous, but also an important part of the process. So then that house was finished. The next year we got there, we were working in house now for another family, for Adriana. And for Adriana's family, um, we helped to build the foundation. We dug ditches, we put rebar in, all types of stuff on the very early stages of the house. Then the next year, the fourth year, we came back and we were working on the ceiling and sort of building the structure for the attic and the roof. So over these years, we've really built a relationship with these families, right? Going back year after year and with the, the habitat people, the, the providers there. And so this year when we got there, Adriana is living in her house with her family and it's right next to the build site that we're starting now. So now we're starting a house for Vera. And so we got to go into Adriana's house, which was finished, which we had helped to build. And I can tell you that was probably the most moving moment of this trip for me. Her house is beautiful on the inside, first of all. I mean, they do a really good job building these houses. And she was so happy to be in this house and to see us. She was just beaming. And to be able to see like the real effects of this work we've done, a bunch of people, except for Terry, a bunch of people who don't know anything about construction, coming but being guided, using their hands, you know, a bunch of teenagers using their hands to build something real that now somebody lives in. And it's made such a meaningful impact in their lives, such a concrete thing, or Adobe thing. <laughs> so first of all, in terms of the change in me, it made me think a lot about the kingdom of God and how it works. Because if you only go to Habitat for one year, for one week, you're just working on a certain stage of that house. And if you're doing sheetrock, it might not seem that exciting. In other words, you don't see the big picture of what's happening. But year after year, working on these things, you start to see the, the impact that it's having on people. So one thing I bring back with me is in our everyday lives as we try to do God's work, sometimes it's hard to see the impact right away. But we're all working on a stage of this huge project called building the kingdom of God, right? That Jesus has called us to. And when we have these moments where we see the impact of it directly, we should share those. We should cherish those and testify to those because that's just a glimpse of this much bigger thing that we're all a part of. So first of all, that's one way that it's changed me is just realizing what, I'm, what I've been a part of, not just there, but when I get back as a Christian. A few other things I want to share with you about the, the teenagers' experience here. So one thing I always hope that they get out of it is this different perspective, I would say, on struggle and poverty. Partly coming from Marin County, but just in general, teenagers from anywhere. What does that mean to a teenager, and how can a teenager actually serve in a meaningful way? In a way that doesn't just feel like filling a requirement or checking off a box, right? And so, when we're in Taos, we work during the day, and in the evening there's time to do a lot of fun stuff, but every evening we have these circles where we get together and we check in with each other. So that's the kind of spiritual program that we have as part of it. So it starts with a check-in, it's the highs and lows of the day or of the week. So we go around the circle, every person gets to share. And then each night there was a theme that we would reflect on. So one of the really early themes that I presented was what is poverty? What does poverty mean to you? And I also want to offer that question to everybody here. What, what does poverty mean to you? Poverty can be statistics. You know, almost 50 million people in this country are, are in poverty. What does that mean, though? 
So the kids shared a lot of very meaningful things in this circle. I've, I'm always blown away by how engaged they are. And so they shared things like, well, poverty means you're always at the edge of not quite getting what you actually need. Or you're always in fear of going without basic things. Or you don't have much hope for the future of your situation changing no matter how much work you do. Which to me were very insightful you know, thoughts about poverty. And I think all of those are true. And for me, each time I go, my sense of what poverty means opens up. And this year, getting to meet Vera, the new family we worked for, really continues to just deepen my understanding of what poverty actually means. So when we met Vera, she told us her story. She has a young daughter. She's been living in a trailer north of Taos. And her trailer, um, in her own words, is very rickety with very thin walls. And in the winter, there's not proper heating. They can only afford to heat one room in the trailer. And it gets very cold in Taos in the winter. I mean, that's like a major ski area there. So in the winter, they're huddling around the space heater in blankets to try to keep themselves from freezing, literally. She works a full-time job, and she, she couldn't afford to do more than that. So to see this story, you know, it's not just a statistic. It's this person, Vera, that we got to meet. And she told a story of one time her pipes burst while she was in the shower in the winter. And she had to go underneath her trailer and crawl like 30 feet under the space to turn off the water in the, in the winter with like soap on her and stuff. Um, and just to think of that day in and day out struggle for the single mom who's so trying her best and working very hard. It just, it's, it so moves me so deeply. And it's not just about a statistic, it's about these real human beings that we're getting to know and that we're becoming community with. So hearing her story was another highlight for me. And then that afternoon, she went out and worked with us around our own house, on her own house. So that was a wonderful thing. We really got to know Vera more. And Vera, come to find out, is just an incredibly interesting person, very intelligent, very spiritual person. And she was sharing that she feels like everyone who works on her house leaves a piece of their energy on the house. Anyone who touches it leaves part of themselves. So that really reinforced that idea to me that all of us are, are part of this house and part of this family's life, even if we're only there for a week. So that was just a wonderful experience for me and for the kids. In terms of understanding what poverty is, it's more than a statistic, and really becoming community with people in the struggle. That's life-changing for me, and I'm sure it is for the kids. Uh, and just to expand on that idea and bring it back to the gospel, the very first night we were there, a question I put to the whole group was, what do you hope to give this week? What do you hope to offer? And what do you hope to receive coming out of it? And Maddie Johnson, who's been on the trip at least three years now, she's kind of a veteran, was, said, I hope that uh, we become a family because each year the youth on this trip become family together. I thought that was just a wonderful thing. I hope that we become family. And really, they do. <laughs> it's amazing. Youth who know each other well and youth who don't know each other, they bond very quickly in a way that I don't see happening in high school. I mean, I teach high school, you know, the cliques that happen and all of that. On this mission trip, it's a very different thing. I think, first of all, because they get to work together on something that's so meaningful and have this experience that's very different together. They're all sort of thrown into the pot together, right? And just their openness to engage it was so moving to me. 
And, you know, they got to do a lot of fun stuff together. We went to this huge canyon called the Gorge. We went whitewater rafting. We went to the hot springs. Anyone who says service trips can't be fun, I, <laughs> I strongly disagree. So they love it, but they're also working very hard together. And it's especially evident to me how much they become family when it comes to that circle at night. Because what they're willing to share with each other is very unusual in the everyday spaces that, that we usually move in, as kids or as adults. They shared their highs and lows, and they started by the end of the week to really share the struggles they deal with every day. Uh, whether it's body image, bullying. We had a long conversation about bullying and how to respond to it. And so these kids that just met each other are talking about some of the deepest things they struggle with within a few days. So what is it about this mission experience that allows them to do that? And for me, how can we bring that back into our everyday lives for them and for us? Because there's so much inspiration and transformative power there in this experience, right? So that's the final question we had the last night we were there. What do you want to bring home from this back into our everyday lives? And just a few things finally to share about that. For me, what I want to bring home with it is this extended sense of family that Maddie's talking about. Not only did we become family with each other, living together and working together there, but in a real way I felt like we became family with Vera and we became family with Adriana and with Mark, the construction supervisor. And everyone who's part of that is part of our extended community, ours and yours. So this idea of extended family speaks to the heart of what our gospel is about, I think. And as I was researching the gospel to write the sermon, I saw that just a few chapters before in Mark, Jesus says exactly that. His mother comes looking for him, and they say, your family's outside. And he said, who is my family? My family is those who do the will of God. You are my brothers and sisters and mother. All of us who are on this mission that Jesus has given us to bring the kingdom of God into the world are family together. And I think the more that we really pursue that and look for opportunities to do that, the more that we just enjoy the connection and the fruits of this family. And so th this is my number one message today, is how can we see beyond the normal limits of the way we think about community and family? How can we open this up to people that we don't normally interact with? In Mill Valley, across the Bay Area, across the country. And now there are a lot of hows involved in that. Perhaps God can help us with the hows. But first of all, I think it's just the mindset. It's just a way of looking at the world and other people as part of our extended family. And poor people not as a statistic, but as our brothers and sisters. And maybe they don't need a hand out, but maybe they do need a hand up, as Habitat likes to say. So what can we do to be more involved in people's lives, not just from a distance, but up close and personal and get to know them? Because that's what changes our lives on the mission trip. Becoming family with the people we serve and becoming family with each other. And here at Church of Our Savior, I think we have a wonderful way of that. I have to, I have to tell you, I've been here for six years. I'm just ending my youth ministry now. This is sort of my last word, <laughs> so to speak. And when Florence and I got here to the Bay Area, I had this job and that was it, 10 hours a week. That's all we had. So, you know, we figured it out, but in some ways we were coming in a position of real struggle right at the beginning there. And you all embraced us and brought us into your family. And that's why I'm still here. I mean, that made all the difference in the world for us. So thank you so much. I just want to say keep doing what you're doing and look for ways to extend that, that sense of family and service. 
that transforms us, that brings Christ ever more into our hearts and to our lives. And that's the most rewarding thing in the world. So thank you guys for all your support of these missions. We've done six years. I really, really hope it keeps going. I won't be leading it, but I might come along. <laughs> They're not that hard to organize at this point. Um, and I have some pictures here. I can show you a coffee hour. They're a little small for displaying. But I just wanted to give you kind of a quick report of these missions and what it's meant to me to be, to be a part of them and a part of this family at Church of Our Savior. So thank you so much. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R MV for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.